Hey guys, it's Kat, and it's time for another episode of True Tea. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in for yet another episode of True Tea. I appreciate those of you guys who come back every single week ready for a fresh brew of True Tea. We do call-in shows every other week. There will be a call-in show for this particular episode, and you can call in and give me your perspective next week, Monday at noon Pacific Standard Time on my main YouTube channel. That's how you will see the broadcast for that conversation. And I usually post all of the full call-in shows, which usually at this point are around two hours long, on my um, Patreon after, which is patreon.com slash catblack. Um, and that's also where you can find a lot of stuff. Um, I post my videos first onto my Patreon. And so if you're interested in that sort of thing, if you like being the first person to comment and you like listening to the full call-in shows, I would definitely suggest that you join me over on Patreon. Anyway, we are going to be having a rough conversation in this video, and this is going to be one of the unique sort of conversations that I've had, um, for this podcast, because this is something that like, I'm still processing And I'm processing probably in a more vulnerable way than previous conversations that I've had. So as per usual, I would highly suggest you go to your kitchen and grab yourself something to drink. I'm about to go do that as well. That is the sound of my grapefruit spindrift opening up. And um, I'm going to take a sip of this and we're going to get into this messy conversation. So a month ago, I uploaded this video where I'm reacting to Glendon Cameron's video where he essentially confesses to being a predator. Now, this video was pretty hard for me to watch because it was literally like listening to the men who had abused me when I was underage um, discuss their plan of action. It, It honestly was hard for me to take in. And I, as you know, filmed that video directly onto Twitch and to be honest with you guys, um, discussing sexual violence has always been a bit hard for me. It's become more easy uh, for me with time, but I've had to do a lot of work to unpack it before even feeling comfortable discussing it publicly with you guys. And uh, frankly, part of the reason why I want to have this this conversation and, and speak about sexual violence is that I know there are so many people out there that have gone through similar things who really need to hear that they're not alone in this experience. And one of the biggest things I talked about in that video is that hypersexuality for me was a response to sexual violence. We've done a whole call-in show about that. You can check that out on the podcast as well. But there's an aspect of that conversation that came to the forefront of my mind because I recently um, edited together a short um, about a specific point that I made in that video. And It just made me think a lot about, I guess, a blind spot in this conversation for me. So what I've been trying to do on my YouTube channel lately is edit together some like main points that I've been making in my videos. And one of the points that I made in my Glennon Cameron video is that hypersexuality for me was a response to trauma and it was also a cry for help. And what I wanted more than anything in the world was for somebody to stop me. Now, I thought a lot about that today because there's multiple conversations being had right now about just how exactly to approach these 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 sort of things in my head, at least. 
on one hand, I, as an adult who's 31 years old, could look back at little 15 year old me who was doing all types of risky sexual stuff um, as a response to the trauma that I experienced and say that what I wanted more than anything was for somebody to catch me, was for somebody to check up on me, was for somebody to ask me, as I say in my video, what the fuck is going on? But 15-year-old me, who was in the midst of that, really would not have been receptive to that. One of the conversations that we've been having on the TikTok um, video that I uploaded about this is that quite frequently, hypersexuality is also about reframing your power in this situation. It's so common for people who have experienced sexual violence to kind of twist it in, in this way where they become hypersexual because they, they so desperately want to feel in control of something that once made them feel disempowered, Right? And so it's really common for people who are in the midst of experiencing this sort of thing to feel quite mischievous about what they're doing. And I remember feeling just that way. I remember feeling like I was getting something over on somebody. Like I was a smart, cunning person who (laughs) was able to sort through all of the complications of the world and get what I wanted. That's how I sort of thought about it, but that's not really true because I know that I didn't really want to have sex with these people. I didn't really want sex. I I, I now recognize that I wanted a quick access to a type of intimacy. And intimacy is a very interesting topic in this conversation because if there's one thing that I've been unpacking about my trauma uh, as it relates to sexual violence is that I've often been terrified of true intimacy. Sexual violence kind of influenced my way of thinking about um, intimacy because I learned at a very young age to intuit what men wanted from me. And so intimacy for a while for me was this sort of false performance, right? But there's something quite terrifying for me about true intimacy, which is for me, that little nugget of understanding was the beginning of me kind of working to unpack trauma for me when it comes to this stuff. Because if there's one thing that's become clear to me with time, it's that I have struggled to have healthy relationships, healthy romantic relationships with men because I've been so hesitant to acknowledge my sexual violence and the way that it's impacted my capacity for intimacy. Right. But on that note, another aspect of this is that I didn't really know intimacy in terms of somebody caring about me at home. One of the reasons why my groomer was able to groom me was because I was in a situation where my parents were not looking after me. I was in a situation where I was able to run away to Los Angeles um, and really not have anyone check up on me in the way that they could have. For me, when I think about wanting somebody to stop me, my friends are an obvious answer, but I think in all reality, I wanted my parents to stop me. 
I wanted my father specifically to stop me. And one of the things that I've had to kind of deal with is understanding as you get older, you know, that you kind of, I mean, you kind of see when you get older that your parents are not exactly, um, you know, the, the paradigm of understanding and intelligence, not always. Um, I'm not saying that my father's a, not a smart person, because um, he is. He's very smart. He's a goddamn accountant. So, you know, better be smart. <laughs> but what I am going to say is that he he was not really prepared to raise me as a child. Um, and so I think there were a lot of situations that I resented my father for where he really didn't have the capacity to ever be the thing I needed him to be. But the pain is still there. He, Glendon Cameron mentions in his video that a lot of these girls who are out there doing all this, this stuff are looking for a daddy figure. And I'll be transparent and say that that's exactly what was going on in my life. I was looking for a male figure who wanted to, to not only take care of me, but also see me, which is why this, this old man who was comfortable with me being myself around him was so appealing to me because ultimately he was affirming me. He was not only affirming me, but he was providing for me, which is something that my father only partially did. My relationship with my, my family has been quite odd because I'm adopted. And I think partially because I'm adopted, my parents have this really interesting relationship with me where they are technically on paper there for all of the important things that a parent is supposed to be for. I can never argue that my parents didn't provide a beautiful home for me to grow up in, in a nice community where they put me in the best schools, where, you know, they gave me almost anything I ever wanted in life. I could never argue against that, which is why I often will continue to describe myself as privileged because I do have a privileged upbringing, right? But what I didn't have the privilege of was having a close, intimate relationship with an authority figure who would give a fuck about somebody grooming me as a child. That is something that I've resented my parents quite a bit for over the years, specifically my father. I had to learn not to carry all of that resentment and again to understand that your parents are not always the paradigm of understanding that you assume they are going to be. But the pain is still there. The pain is still there. And I had a thought this morning about how differently things would have gone if my dad caught me. It's funny because you feel so differently about this when you're a kid. You feel so defensive about this shit when you're a kid. But you look back sometimes and you you kind of recognize maybe in some situations your parents might have had your best interest in some contexts. When I think about this particular aspect of the conversation, I think about when I got my first webcam. <laughs> my dad, who has always been, my dad is a funny character where he's incredibly paranoid about stuff like webcams. He really does believe that people are invested in his life enough to figure out a way to log into my webcam, whip around the corner and look at his bank statements, you know, from across the room and get his information. 
not saying that that's, that's impossible, but it's pretty far-fetched, let's just say. Um, but my father, when he found that I had a webcam, he took it out of my room, right? Now, of course, my webcam, the little webcam that I ultimately ended up stealing back from him, <laughs> um, was the beginning of my YouTube channel, right? Like, I have a YouTube channel now because when I was a teenager, I took my $25 that my parents gave me for, um, you know, lunch and shit and spent it on a webcam, right? So, I, I, <laughs> it, maybe it's part of the origin story, I suppose, but I look back at that as probably the only time in my life that I can think of tangibly that my father has worked in his own way to prevent predators from having access to me. You know? And, you know, we obviously, there's so much to unpack about the overly protected male father figure and the patriarchalness of that and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm not going to deny toxic masculinity and all those conversations around it, but boy, would it have been nice for my father to have known who raped me and ran up to him and fucked him up. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) You know, it would have felt nice to know that my parents cared about me to that degree. But what instead happened was this man who was raping me, this man who was abusing me, was more tolerable to me than he ever was. And so when I wanted to feel comfortable with myself, I turned to my rapist, not my father. And that's fucked up, you know? And I, like I said in the video that I made about this, um, I think that this is a, a, an aspect of the conversation that most people who aren't survivors won't understand. I worked for my, my rapist for a whole year after he raped me. Um, but it made sense to me at the time because of what my options were and groomers and predators definitely rely on this. I I respect that a lot of people who are on the fence about LGBT acceptance don't enjoy the threat of a predator or the threat of suicide hanging over their head when the situation is accept them or they might hurt themselves or be hurt by someone else. But the reality of the situation is that that is what is probably going to happen. When you are are not a safe place for your child to lay, I promise I promise you there's going to be some creep out there that's going to make it their job to make it so that their place is a safe place for your child to lay. Which is why I try to have these conversations for parents of ch- of children who are trans or LGBTQIA+, etc., to understand that this is the real risk. Like I said, my parents pre- technically provided me a place to live, a safe home, put me in good schools, da-da-da-da. They did all the things they were technically supposed to do. The only thing that they really didn't do was protect me as a person, as a young girl which of course was not how they processed me. So I guess when I think about wanting people to interrupt and to say what the fuck was going on, I think predominantly about my parents 
But interestingly enough, my friends in high school, my best friends in high school later found out what was going on. And they were really disappointed that I didn't bring it to them. And I know that I didn't bring it to them because I was so defensive about it. I didn't want to involve them. Maybe I was ashamed. I think part part that was a really big part of it. I was just ashamed of what I was doing and who I was doing it with. And so a lot of my youth and the reason why unpacking this stuff has been so hard for me is because I had a really isolated experience and the friendliest, nicest people to me were the creepiest people in my life. You know, I guess when I think about this, the reason why I I, I presented this as a topic I haven't figured out is because I don't know quite what the solution is. Beyond saying that maybe you should be a person who's annoying about this. What maybe if you see somebody who might be going through a hypersexual reaction post assault, maybe it it should be your job to be annoying about whether or not they're actually okay. And what I mean when I say that is there are people who will say they're okay, but they're not. There are people like myself who have been incredibly fucking defensive if you came to them and said, bitch, something's wrong. I would have not heard it. Not only that, but I would have lashed out at you. I would have said that you were a person that was jealous or some other crazy shit that doesn't make any fucking sense. I would have said all of that stuff because that's kind of the way that your mind works when you're in that position, especially when you're a teenager, (laughs) right? So I guess the reason why I wanted to bring this conversation to you is To ask you if you've been in a situation that's similar, where you've either wanted somebody to intervene or they have intervened, and you've recognized what aspects about it were helpful to you or perhaps unhelpful to you. Because I think that that would be a really productive conversation. And that's really why I wanted to bring it to you guys so that we could start building on this. I try to have my conversations in general with an I a vague um you know gesture towards a solution. This is something I don't have the solution for simply because of how I know I would have reacted. I I I you know in a way maybe if I had overly protective parents I would have still swung that way. Maybe even more so because of it. I don't really know. All I know is it would have given me so much satisfaction to A, just feel safe around my family, but then to B, know that they weren't going to be okay with someone fucking grooming me. I, one of the reasons why I I carry a lot of resentment for my parents and things is because I told them this You know, I hid it from them for a while, but I remember we had a family therapy appointment and I point blank told them about my suicide attempts um, in in times where I was having a hard time, you know, understanding and comprehending my rape. And they had no reaction to that. There was no concern. There was none of that. 
my parents have this they have they had this tendency to sort of see me in pain and see me upset and dismiss it as me wanting attention. And obviously, yeah, I wanted your attention. I did want your attention. I wanted you to actually give a fuck enough to care that something was happening to me. So, you know, it is frustrating occasionally to, you know, engage with their why don't you call anymore kind of stuff when their reaction to me telling them that I was raped was, you know, nothing. So anyway, on that note, I'm going to end this here, but I wanted to extend the conversation to you guys because I'm very, very curious what you guys would see as solutions. What would a solution look like? Anyway, I'll talk to you guys next time. And I want you to always remember and to never forget that you're beautiful and you're loved. Bye.